When it comes to weaponized AI, you can forget Skynet, Ultron, and HAL 9000. The AI villains plaguing commercial operations these days come in the forms of poisoned data sets, hijacked AI models, and adversarial samples. The world of malevolent data is no longer just the stuff of science fiction, but a reality that cybersecurity experts, data scientists, and supply chain managers all need to be cognizant of. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and in this episode of If When, we explored the topic of adversarial artificial intelligence with Dr. Jennifer Bloom, Senior Director and Data Scientist for Jacobs CMS Cyber and Intelligence Business Unit, and Charles Ramsey, Director and Data Scientist, Jacobs CMS Cyber and Intelligence Business Unit. Well, Jennifer, Charles, thank you both so very much for joining me today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, talking with y'all. You know, as 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 we talk about artificial intelligence, you know, and as we started kind of putting this this episode together, you know, the fact that you could use artificial intelligence to attack other artificial intelligence, and you know, I mean, to me. As a layman, it sounds kind of like cutting edge cybersecurity stuff and really fascinating to see where the technology is going. So I'm really looking forward to sitting down with both of you today and kind of diving into this. So thank you both uh, so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you, Paul. All right. So uh, just to kind of jump in, Jennifer, my first question is for you. And can you describe for us what are some of the more common types of AI-empowered attacks that affect commercial operations? So I think that there are three types. One is AI model theft, one is adversarial samples, and one is training data poisoning. And so I'll go into a little bit of detail about each of those three, but AI model theft is pretty much when you hijack an AI model. So you have a model that's trained and you embed it with some vulnerability like a hardware chip or or on a cloud network. And then you have cyber, cyber criminals that can access the AI systems or worse yet, they can reverse engineer uh, the machine learning models. Then you have what's called uh, adversarial samples, which is where you essentially introduce uh, mistakes into your AI model. So you've manipulated the, the data so that the model actually uh, learns incorrectly. So it incorrectly uh, identifies things. So one of the example is you have a self-driving car and instead of seeing a stop sign, it recognizes it instead as say a speed limit sign, uh, which as you can imagine can have terrible, horrible consequences. And then finally we have the third one, which is training data poisoning, which is where um, before you even, as you're training the model, you introduce incorrect information. And so that's a bit different than the what I mentioned before, but essentially you train the model incorrectly. So what before what I was saying was um, with the self-driving car is that it knows what a stop sign is. You just introduce stuff to make it think it's something else. In this case, you actually trained it so that it never sees a stop sign. It'll only see a speed limit sign. And the real danger with that is that you don't realize until it's too late that this manipulation has taken place and it's really, really hard to find out where the mistakes are. It's really hard to undo. And so I think that's one of the harder things that's happening right now to fix. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, and so like, how does that happen? You know, is it like somebody hacks a system and introduces data that way? Or is it like social engineering? Like is somebody on the inside poisons the, the data model or the data pool? Or, And I've seen some things where it's like, they'll, they'll take a picture 
or like a sound or something and they'll layer like white noise over the sound, for instance, that's not detectable by human ears, but like the AI, it just like flips the AI out or they'll put something in the picture that a human eye couldn't see, but it like totally messes it, the AI. How does that, like, what's the avenue of attack? I mean, is it outside or is it like an inside kind of job or is it tend to be both? Like how, how does it's, that even work? It's totally both. Um, so you can definitely have an insider. And I would argue that's the, that's the easiest way to do it is mm-hmm. you have someone, you know, plug something into a computer, a network, a USB port, and uh, you can just uh, introduce uh, malicious activity that way. Uh, the other, the other avenues, are, of course, when the user does it by accident, you clicked an email that you shouldn't have, you opened an attachment that you shouldn't have, you went to a website that had malicious code. And um, it can, like anytime you you get a text that's spam or they, they mimic it saying, uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten a text that says it's from your bank and you know they, they need you to click this link, uh, but it's not your bank. And so all of those are entry points. So I'd say from both sides, both the user accidentally being tricked, so to speak, and then having a person on the inside using actual um, physical devices to um, to introduce malicious uh, content. Mm. Now, Charles, you know, Jennifer brought up, you know, the idea of like weaponizing self-driving cars, mm-hmm. you know, and I, the mind just kind of can think of like all kinds of different scenarios. Maybe you get in a car, an autonomous vehicle, and suddenly you're locked in and it, bad actors won't let you out until you agree to pay a ransom or, you know, who knows, but, you know, let's talk about potential attacks that can be deployed against the common good you know, such as weaponizing self-driving cars or attacking healthcare institutions. You know, how likely are those kinds of episodes and how can we insulate against those? Piggybacking off of Jen's uh, great breakdown of the different types of AI, um, I think we would agree that there's so much good that AI can provide for the common good, for those self-driving vehicles, for healthcare institutes. And I'll break down some thoughts on each one. But, but first, the colleague, Kevin English, and this is a potentially a simplified version of the breakdown that Jen provided, but there's a distinction between the attack itself, between adversarial AI and weaponized AI. So that this can, weaponized AI could include lethal autonomous weapon systems that we've all seen on like the show Slaughterbots, the YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that uh, weaponized AI attacks the actual system, but adversarial AI, AI systems can be confused by inputs to make bad decisions and as an example. And this was uh, what Jen had talked about with AI poisoning or training poisoning mm-hmm. to where, and, and you mentioned it as well. So the focus on the AI algorithms and the models themselves, and, and it may be used within weaponized AI attacks, but when you're going after the actual algorithms and models, so an AI model and attacking the training data, uh, in, a, in a training data poisoning example, would be a single neural network. There are multiple layers, and each different layer has potentially a different weakness that can be interjected by some malicious algorithm. So this could be totally undetected, and it's in the noise, so to speak, but yet it impacts the overall model. So, so weaponized AI automates the attacks on this common good services mentioned, mm-hmm. Whereas the AI uh, modeling attacks or the training data poisoning attack could be used for weaponized AI. Hmm. And unfortunately, yes, uh, so attacks are likely common good services like transportation, 
mm-hmm. self-driving cars that you had mentioned, smart cities, and, and, and these include security monitoring for good, mm-hmm. uh, healthcare uh, as an example. So I'm impressed with the availability and scale of AI tools that are used today for good. But now we can imagine that AI autonomous attacks are happening. So taking a hacker who's going after a healthcare system mm-hmm. now automate that to scale from an AI attack that is just relentless and the frequency where we just can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And then specifically in healthcare. So an example that I give was actually an experiment is a body area network in healthcare. So imagine a, a array of medical devices that sit on a medical grade network and they share data from, from station to station. Mm-hmm. Uh, that includes diagnostics. So, you know, and this is a real growth area. Cybersecurity Watch Survey estimates that, that we can see around 41 billion IoT devices by 2025. Wow. So that surface, that attack surface is growing mm-hmm. in the medical field. So, uh, as, and this is kind of a sidebar, but as a proof of concept, we explored a heart rate monitor wireless system or M-band. Mm-hmm. And we started out as kind of a, a joke. We intercepted the wireless signal from the heart rate monitor. And then we had a laptop nearby that shuffled to the music based on the beat per minute that it was reading from the patient, right? So stay, I, I looked it up, staying alive is 124 beats per minute. So if you're running at 124 beats per minute, then we would shuffle that song. So it was kind of funny. You'd shuffle that song and, and you'd hear staying alive in your playlist. So that's innocuous. But we were also able, and it's more important, we were able to control the display and the control of the heartbeat shown on the screen. Mm-hmm. So imagine this type of attack at scale to where AI is going in and changing all of the heart rate monitors or impacting them simultaneously so that you can no longer trust the the devices that are growing in scale you're no longer able to trust them due to these attacks wow it's like kind of it's kind of a new way of thinking about deep fakes in a sense too. healthcare data you know and it's amazing the uh this idea of like emergent technology uh arms race escalating arms race because the attack surface you know with the the proliferation of ai iot devices and then with the advances in ai you know, it just seems, you know, black hat, white hat, it seems like, you know, it's just going to continue to like exponentially grow, you know, and like cybersecurity experts and, you know, data scientists and all, all these adjacent disciplines are going to have their work cut out for them, you know. And so, so Jennifer kind of taking this, this kind of mindset and putting it, you know, maybe a little more subtly in terms of like, not necessarily just attacking the common good, but like attacking supply chains, right? And like maybe competitors are like doing skunk works on each other's supply chains and stuff, you know? So can you, Jennifer, describe some of the dangers that adversarial machine learning and AI could present to an organization's supply chain? It's a lot of things, but the main one is loss of personal information, not just uh not just the employees of said organizations, but of course, uh, the organization's sensitive data itself. So if you had trade secrets, there's a chance that that might be breached or compromised, but industries all around are suffering from just an explosion of cyber attacks, especially on the software supply chain. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most uh, notorious instances in, in, recent, in recent times is the, uh, the hack involving solar winds, where um, 
they, they breached a, a software supplier's network and they planted malicious code and it was dispensed to um, thousands of vendors and cus- vendors' customers. And so once the update was installed, all the customers were affected. Uh, affected and infected, and they were be able to be breached themselves. Another danger I found is that, especially with a lot of uh, commercial software vendors mm-hmm. are using, um, well, not just software vendors, but a lot of commercial vendors are using uh, open source code and uh, third parties to um, achieve their results for applications. So your third-party applications for your timesheets, for your emails, um, collaboration platforms, mm-hmm file sharing. A lot of the times the end user has no insight into the security of your code that's being used. And uh, that's definitely a backdoor for adversarial attacks and the end user would just have no sense whatsoever that it was happening. Uh, One thing that's uh, also I would mention in terms of supply chains is that it can definitely, Charles mentioned a lot of things in healthcare, and I just want to piggyback on that, but in terms of um, fraud, that, that's another thing that could that could definitely happen. So you have, um, say, you're tracking uh, you're tracking prescriptions or you're tracking medical equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that could be miscalculated. I say in quotes. You know, you, the the computer said you have this many, but you actually have that many. You can cause a lot of uh, disharmony between not just healthcare but any organizations. If you had military equipment, any of those things can cause a lot of problems, especially if say you had soldiers on the ground that needed said equipment, mm-hmm. but you've introduced adversarial uh, attacks and code that would make it so that they didn't get what they needed in the time frame that they needed. So it's not that they, we wouldn't notice that it was happening. It's just the question of that it'd be too late. Mm, wow. Now, Charles, how can an organization identify potential adversarial machine learning and AI pitfalls in their supply chains, and, and then what steps do they need to take to mitigate those dangers? Right, so uh, identifying potential adversarial ML and AI pitfalls. So I love the example that Jim gave on SolarWinds, and that's a perfect example of attack on the supply chain to where early on introduced deep down into a module of a module, potentially firmware, I think the, the malware was called Sunspot, I believe, for SolarWinds and, and Log4j is a similar example to where open source Java with malware embedded within it. So from the Linux foundation, so when, when software is being developed, it's compiled, so to speak, from source code mm-hmm. and that software is used. So Jen also mentioned open source. So imagine this is an open source module that you're used to using, but within that module, you've gotten a different copy. And so your module is using a module is using a module is using a module and that last module. So it's like a butterfly wing where that impacts the code maliciously. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a pitfall. How can we, how can we look at each element within the supply chain and software and, cre- and building AI more to the point? How can we better do that? So a couple of recommendations. One, we can take what we've learned from the cyber practices and perform zero trust audits on open source modules. Mm-hmm. So hash checking is not enough, which is what's being done today. So we can also use, which I think would be interesting, is use AI programs on themselves, on the software themselves, so that they become assistant software code auditors for us. And then there's a, a, a thing from Linux Foundation where they create and verify reproducible builds. 
So a build that can always produce the exact same outputs given the same inputs so that you verify the, the build before you put it into production. And then a second recommendation, uh, of course, in AI itself, cyber training, but also the processes in software development workflow. So if I'm if I'm trained to look for phishing attack, as, as an example, but my processes are such that I'm supposed to click on a link to submit my code as just an example, then the process does not match the training. And similarly with the AI, if I'm building a model and I have these particular processes and one might break some type of cyber training that I've had, then that itself causes an issue. And then also there's there's government entities that are working on recommendations for, for AI protection. The uh, CISA, the DHS, um, Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, mm -hmm. they have this concept of a key building block. And what that is, is a, it's software security baked in to these modules, which I think would go a long way to, to helping us so that we can now trust those building blocks of considered a software bill of materials is what I think they use, but a building block that we trust. And there's, of course, thousands in these building blocks. We now trust our build and our AI models more. And then finally, an automation of all of the above. So we continue to look for ways that AI can assist these proposed processes to mitigate potential dangers. Mm, mm, excellent. So Jennifer, kind of, you know, carrying that forward a little bit, you know, we're, we're talking about AI as an attack, you know, an attack technology, but, you know, kind of picking up on a little bit on what Charles was just saying there, you know, in terms of AI as a defense technology. And so can you, Jennifer, talk a little bit about how organizations could use machine learning uh, algorithms to help identify weaknesses and potential adversarial conditions in their supply chains? So... Uh, one thing that Charles mentioned was, of course, using uh, AI to assist us, uh, like you just like you just said, and that's definitely possible. The one thing I think that's very important is not so much thinking, uh, well, what kind of how how can we how can we beat them? What kind of do we do we need do we need to be faster? Do we need to be more efficient? Can can we stop these things from happening? And I think what's most important is the techniques that are being used. So questions that have been asked is how do we essentially plug up these adversarial backdoors that are can be entryways to uh, maliciously affecting our code. Mm. And one thing that I, I technique I really liked was called a uh, mode connectivity. And without without boring every, anyone too much, but the idea is that you pretty much look at a, you have two models side by side. And what it was originally designed to do was to help generalize them. So when they are trying to identify something, you know, they can work in harmony. Uh, that was what it was initially designed to do. The problem, actually not the problem, the, the side effect of that is that they realize it's actually really perfect to um, plug up back doors. So when they made it so that these two models are uh, being generalized with each other and you don't minimize their accuracy mm -hmm. and the developer has full control over uh, what points to pick, like, how am I going to make these models relate to each other? It's the developer doing that, that makes it very hard for a malicious actor to figure out what the developer is doing. And even if they did figure it out, they'd also have to have the, the, the clean example, so to speak. So the clean data that the developer is working on. So it's essentially uh, two, two steps that can be preventative for malicious code being introduced. The malicious actor would have to figure out you know, how, how to bypass that. And they realized that it's actually really hard 
for them to do. So that that's one scenario. And then I'll just mention um, two others. Uh, they're also techniques. So again, these are techniques to teach the AI. So it doesn't matter, you know, what they're programmed in or anything. It's the techniques themselves that would be used. So one is called AutoZoom, which uh, essentially helps developers find black box adversarial vulnerabilities. So those are, would be in deep learning models and they do it with a lot less effort that's normally required. And then there's another one called hierarchical random switching, which was uh, developed um, by some IBM AI researchers, which essentially makes things more random and more difficult for uh, malicious actors to figure out. You know, Charles, can you talk a little bit about the idea of deceptive data, how it works, and how organizations can identify when deceptive data has been introduced into their training sets? Yeah, I think this is a callback to Jen's mention of poisoning the the AI training model. Mm -hmm. So from uh, Dr. Charles Cordy, one of our, our senior data scientists, he speaks to deceptive data as being deliberately bad. So poisoning the AI model in sometimes subtle ways, sometimes not so subtle ways. But, you know, if enough AI bots uh, mislabel an image, then a person, and his example was Benedict Cumberbatch, becomes something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, But more to the point, so mostly in AI training, one needs a lot of data to train that model so Mm -hmm. that it doesn't overfit in particular. But what if the data itself is tainted? So, or there exist blind spots in the training data set that lead to accurate models so that the model is sound, but still there's some known edge cases that exist in the distribution that can be exploited by malicious intent. So, so imagine blind spots within that data. So it's deceptive in that the omission of key data and, and intents prevent detection, for example, So an example, facial recognition is getting better, right? So vendors consider that vendors did not used to consider masks much prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But now convolutional networks, CNN models must adapt to recognize faces even with masks. So that was almost a, that was unintentional deceptive data that it wouldn't recognize faces with masks. Uh, Now a new issue introduced due to the pandemic. So there are many other, means that can circumvent AI training models. And what are those means? Uh, so what, what's what's the next mask that a CNN uh, will need to encounter? So AI can be developed to look for these weaknesses as a recommendation um, and preventing this type of deceptive data. And so you have a AI mechanism that goes through and ensures the integrity of the data. Mm. And then, Jennifer, are there certain neural networks that are more susceptible to attack than others? You know, for instance, are visual processors more likely or more easily to be attacked than, say, text-based or voice-based networks? I'm going to say they're all equally able to be to be uh, utilized uh, or susceptible to attack. Unfortunately, a lot of the adversarial machine learning that we've seen um, has overcome a lot of what we what we think would be showstoppers. So, you know, visual, voice, text, which makes them, I think, even, even more dangerous. And uh, one thing that happened in uh, tex- Texas A&M was that they, they demonstrated that they could poison a machine learning model with just a, a few tiny patches of pixels and just a tiny bit of computing power uh, in terms of like for, for a visual, um, visual, ad- visual process attack. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it doesn't require much these days, unfortunately, 
then you have a what's called a, you can use it. There's a technique called a Trojan net, which um, creates a, a simple uh, artificial neural network to detect a series of patches. And that's something that the, you know, that the attackers can use. And it's just, I wish I could have better news for which would be safer, but unfortunately they are all equally susceptible. And same thing um, we mentioned earlier, deep fakes. Mm -hmm. That is something that uh, you can mimic a person's voice. You can mimic uh, what they look like. Uh, You can age a person's video or photo up. You can put them down and you can also just create people from scratch, unfortunately, using deep fake technology. Yeah, I would say, uh, and even with a text-based text-based networks, even that's not safe because if there's anything embedded, uh, like Charles was mentioning with anything open source, you mm. are, you are prime for attack. Mm. We'll shift our conversation just a little bit. Where do we go from here? And so this next question I have for both of you, I'll, I'll ask you Charles and then I'll ask you Jennifer. I'm going to ask you the same questions, but so Charles, uh, where do you see the future of adversarial AI going? And what are some of the dangers that organizations might be on the watch for? So the future of adversarial AI, we can start, I think, with a quick thought experiment, if you will. In adversarial AI and weaponized AI, what is terrorism, right? So for, for both international and domestic terrorism, the FBI states and defines it with violent criminal act committed by individuals or groups, uh, so bodily harm or death. So what are some other fears that we have that adversarial AI might impact? So things like air, water, sleep, safety, you know, Maslow's basic human needs. Mm-hmm. I didn't list them all. but So the international community has banned chemical and biological warfare after World War I, yet it still exists. And, and how might a criminal element use that against us at scale? So imagine adversarial AI somehow manipulating this and using this. Mm-hmm. Um, we've read about attempts in subway systems and mass mailing, building control systems, which are becoming more and more integrated, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, the growth explosion of IoT with internet ex- exponentially. So not talking about Nest thermostats, I'm talking about things like hospital process, complicated climate control systems, more critical infrastructure from DHS, CISA, so they, they oversee the protection of our critical infrastructure, but how might these be exploited using adversarial AI? So AI could provide automation to these attacks. And then and, and a, kind of a more subtler point, I don't know, I made up this term, I uh, hope it makes sense. So autonomous social engineering. So we talked about social engineering, mm-hmm. fishing, baiting, dumpster diving, and you, you, you receive an invoice from your colleague and you click on it, and then more information is gleaned. But what if that were autonomous? So imagine adversarial AI where you can't glean, you can't differentiate a machine from a person. And we're, we're seeing attempts of this, like when you get spam calls or you get uh, robots online. But imagine with the combination of deep fakes and the more accurate models and autonomous AI, applied to social engineering so that you become an exploited target. So I, I see that in adversarial AI in the future. I also see this thing I kind of made up called bias juking. So statistically, we tend to read more information that confirms to our thinking. And mm-hmm. juking is a slight diversion 
yeah, slight diversion from these ideas that may persuade you in other ways. So AI slips into your normal stream of information that you receive either through the news or through friends or through other means, mm. but then pro provides misinformation. And all this, it, it would be kind of scary if all of this were done via autonomous AI that we couldn't, we couldn't recognize. An example, uh, social media recruitment of, of ISIS mm. is an example where they, they had propaganda pushed out and they were trying to get people to join ISIS. Now imagine AI assisting in that or actually taking over that campaign for a criminal or a nation state. Hmm. Uh, maybe they are able to like read like social media sentiment and thing like that, you know, so then it becomes like targeted recruiting in a sense. So like it's like the nefarious version of target marketing, you know, they're able to like reach yeah. those people most susceptible to joining their ideology, let's say, or like to take action, then otherwise absolutely. they might, so it increases their effectiveness, you know, which is. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And, it, and if you look at things like Neuralink, which is gathering more and more information around the human brain, some immediately jump to the Skynet scenario, right? Where, where AI takes over the world. And, you know, there's a fictional book by Douglas Richards uh, where AI takes over a mind, someone's mind. Uh, so they, they figure out how to telepathically communicate with this person. Now, that's far-fetched, right? granted. But consider an AI attack that's more plausible, like AI figuring out how to manipulate something as simple as sound audio waves. If there's sonic weapons today, imagine a large-scale noise attack that mm -hmm. could pose a significant impact. So that's another example of, yes, there's a subtle recruitment idea that AI uh, and social, autonomous social engineering, this bias juking to where it just changes, it tries to persuade you just a little bit, but then also AI being used as an actual weapon. Mm -hmm. And then, Jennifer, my, you know, so my last question is, you know, for you, it's the, the same set the head for Charles, you know, where do you see the future of adversarial AI going and, and what are some of the dangers that organizations might be on the watch for? So Charles already said a, a good chunk of them, and I guess I'll, I'll just uh, add a little bit, but in reference to say uh, the, the deep fakes uh, in terms of, he mentioned, you know, using it as a social engineering platform um, to, to recruit for say terrorist organizations, but uh, also you can do the spread of misinformation. So like you said, tweaking things just a little bit. I mentioned uh, fraud that could happen. So uh, on a very small scale, of course, you can pretend uh, that a, uh, a dead person is still alive. You can keep saying that someone works for you and actually you can make up you can make up your own company and say that there are 200 people that work for you, but they actually, none of them exist. Mm -hmm. So um, it would require uh, different organizations to be more cognizant of who they're going into business with. Cause usually you just do, you know, what, what do you do? You usually just would uh, do a Google search on them. You'd hope to talk to somebody, but in this world of uh, remote viewing, the question is, is the person you see even real at that point, if you can make all these deep fakes and you've never actually met any of these people in person. Um, so it, it, that, that I think is a, is a scary notion um, on the fraud front, but I would also um, like to say that uh, one thing I thought was fascinating was I was able to have the fortunate experience to talk with someone who's in the entertainment industry. Uh, he was a data scientist and a data engineer, AI expert. And what they were doing was that they would 
map the patterns of people's facial expressions as they watch their TV shows. And so based on certain expressions, mm -hmm. they would able to say, you know, like obvious things like they, they, they had an emotion or an emotional response. Someone asked, well, does that mean in the future could Netflix just by, you know, if I had my camera turned on that Netflix could only show, show me TV series that they know I would like that I would enjoy. And one thing that really struck me was he said, the purpose isn't necessarily enjoyment. It's that I know that it evoked a response negative or positive. And I'm using that powerful response to see if I can get your, get your focus. So I th think that's something interesting to note that say like you have, um, you're on your computer and your camera, you think it's off, but it's actually on. And uh, malicious code is actually studying your expressions. Um, so this goes beyond just looking at, you know, your social media feed and looking at the text and trying to do a sentence. This is actually looking to see, you know, are your pupils dilating when you are looking at certain images so it can get an even greater detailed understanding of what provokes a response, negative or positive, because both could be used uh, maliciously, depending. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's, we generate so much data, you know, in our daily living. I mean, and it's like, it's just only a matter of time where it's like everything we do is trackable and watchable and, you know, uh, discoverable or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, that's pretty it's pretty fascinating. And then it's like, it becomes like, you know, what do you trust? I mean, that a whole idea of trust and, you know, the media and stuff like that, you know, obviously has been part of the national conversation for a couple of years now, but, you know, science fiction writers have probably been kind of forecasting it for quite some time. I mean, you know, how, how do you, how do you kind of thread the needle in terms of like your day-to-day -day reality when like so much information you know, like you're alluding to, Jen, you know, it could be misinformation or you could just be being led in certain ways because things that are much more powerful and discernible than you are, are you know, are, are able to see how you react to things and adjust accordingly. And then, you know, you extrapolate that ideas of like the metaverse now, you know, this kind of- I was of going idea. to mention that, yes. Yeah. This consensual universe, we're going to all, digital universe, we're going to all participate in. It's like, uh, you know, oh my goodness. I mean, it's like, it's a Pandora's box, you know, of like, you know, who knows? Uh, anyway, I guess that's, that's neither here nor there. That's a whole other discussion, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's obviously we're just starting to really understand the dangers and the opportunities that all of this kind of technology affords us. And so, um, well, you know, I really appreciate sitting down with both of you, Jennifer and Charles, today to talk about this idea of adversarial AI. Obviously, uh, there's going to be a lot more to be said in the, the days ahead, but uh, really appreciate you both for your expertise and your insights. So thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. Yeah, thank, thanks, Paul. Thanks for the invite.